Hi, and welcome to Talmud, E-Talmud 2.0. We are now um, on the very bottom of 8B, Ches Amad Beis and Moed Katan. Um, we're going to focus today on 9A, Tes Amad Beis, Tes Amad Aleph, I'm sorry. So we had just given a whole bunch of reasons as to why one is not allowed to get married on Chol HaMoed. Um, and now the Gemara is going to challenge all the reasons. Last line, Mesvei, they challenge from the following Brisa. So we say with regard to all those women who, upon, among, um, about who the sages said that you're forbidden to marry them on Yom Tiv, on the festival, Mutar and Lisa Erev you are allowed to get married to them on the eve of the festival. Which would then mean that the Shavah Brachos, the seven days of rejoicing after the wedding, would happen during the festival. Now, Kashalakulahu, this would seemingly be a question according to all of the reasons. Why according to all of the reasons? Well, the first reason is, is because we don't want to intermingle one joyous occasion with another. But here, you definitely will be intermingling because the seven days of rejoicing for the wedding are going to happen during the seven days of the festival. The second reason we gave is that you're worried that... Um, the person will put aside the joy of the festival and concentrate on the joy of his wife. So, so too here. You're going to marry on the eve of the festival. You should have the same concern. Number three. The third reason was that um, the groom will exert himself excessively in preparing for the feast. Now, think about it. If, in fact, he's getting married on the eve of the festival, then he may exert himself excessively to prepare for the festive meals of the Sheva Brachos, of the seven days of rejoicing. And according to the fourth reason, which was that um, people would then delay getting married um, until the festival itself so that they can combine the festival meal with the Yom Tiv meal, with the, with the wedding meal, so people wouldn't get married the rest of the year, which would obviously push off um, having children. And you also shouldn't be allowed to get married on the eve of the festival because you would still delay your wedding. So that the days of rejoicing with your wife, right, um, can be, so the days of Sheva Brachos at least can be combined with the festive meals. So you're getting all of these days of, um, of rejoicing with your wife, Sheva Brachos, that are going to be kind of combined with your holiday meals. And you'll end up pushing off anyways until the holidays. So, so that Bryce that would seem to contradict all four reasons given as to why it is, one, is not allowed to get married on Yom Tiv, on Cholamot. So he answered low question. It's not a question. We're going to say as follows. According to the one who says that the reason you can't get married on the festival is because of the intermingling of joyous, two joyous occasions. That's not allowed. The response is, The main joy is only for one day. The day of the wedding itself. And therefore, the day of the wedding itself is the eve of the festival, leaving the rest of the, the, the entire festival to really be the focus of your joy. According to the one who says that the reason you're not allowed to is because of the ex- excessive exertion involved in preparing the meal. And that excessive exertion is not allowed to be done on Yom Tiv. So we had asked, but wait a minute, won't you have the same excessive exertion for the Sheva Brachos meals? So we answer, No. The main exertion where you really would exert yourself is only for the festive meal of the wedding itself. But you're not going to overexert yourself for just Sheva Brachos. According to the one who says that the reason you can't get married on the festival is because people will push off their weddings until the festival itself and not get married throughout the rest of the year and therefore push off having children. How would we respond? 
So the response is, is that for the narrow window of opportunity provided by a single day, a person's not going to delay the wedding. Meaning, if you couldn't get married on the festival itself, which would provide you seven different days, on that possibility of being able to get married on one day, you're not going to push off your wedding. If, in fact, you had seven days to choose from, that would be one thing. But if you just had your one, you know, just Arab Yomtev, you're not going to push off for that. Okay, so now we're going to go back to the first reason given as to why you can't get married on, on, on Yomtev, which was that you're not allowed to intermingle one join another. And we're going to provide a source, a Torah source for it. And this idea that you're not allowed to intermingle one joy with another, from where do we know this? Because it's written regarding the celebration of the dedication of the temple, of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem by King Solomon, by Shlomo HaMalach. It says as follows, At that time, Shlomo, um, he, uh, he made a celebration. All of Israel was with him, a huge congregation. From the approach of Hamas until the brook of Egypt, before Hashem our God, for seven days and then for seven more days, 14 days, meaning they celebrated as follows. They celebrated during the seven days before the festival of Sukkot for the dedication of the temple. And then, which happened seven days leading up to uh, Sukkot, and then they carried the festivities into the seven days of Sukkot itself. And that was the total of 14 days. Now, if it is true that you are allowed to intermingle one joyous occasion with another, Shlomo HaMelech should have delayed the dedication of the temple for seven days until Sukkot itself. And make the seven days of celebration encompass both seven days of the celebration of the dedication of the temple and the seven days of Sukkot. From the fact that he didn't combine the two, it's very clear that we do not intermingle two um, two, um, two times of joy. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to ask, Vidilma Mintra Lonantrinon. But perhaps the reason Shlomo HaMelech, he didn't combine the two joyous occasions is because we don't intentionally, he didn't want to intentionally delay the dedication of the temple once the building was complete. But where it does happen, that two joyous occasions do happen to coincide, then there's no problem of doing it. So maybe maybe this isn't a really a good proof. So the Gemara answers, No, because if it's true that it's no problem to intermingle two joyous occasions, then, um, then Shlomo, King Solomon, could have left over a small part of the temple building and then completed it right before Sukkot in order to make sure that it fell out at exactly the moment that Sukkot fell out and then he could have intermingled those two festivals, uh, those two re- times of rejoicing. Rather, it must be from the fact that he didn't do it, it must be that you're not allowed to intermingle two different times of rejoicing. So my answer is back. What are you talking about? You're saying, you're suggesting that King Shomo Melch should have purposely not finished the base of Mikdash, delayed the finishing of the base of Mikdash of the Holy Temple? We definitely wouldn't leave over. We definitely wouldn't delay it. That would be completely disrespectful. That's why he didn't leave. Uh, you know, that he, he, um, he, um, that's, um, that, that is the idea. So, um, 
So, which would mean then, so Shlomo cannot have delayed the dedication of the temple until Sukkot, and therefore, and he happened to have finished it seven days before Yom Tiv, before Sukkot itself, and um, that's and therefore we don't have a proof that you're not allowed to intermingle. Maybe these seven days happened before those seven days. So then we answer, we say as follows. No, perhaps we still do have a proof, um, and it would have been as follows. Shlomo Melech should have left over the Amma of the Crow Chaser, and then finish that right before Sukkot to combine the two joyous occasions. From the fact that he didn't, it must be that you're not allowed to intermingle two joyous occasions. Now, what exactly is the Amma of the Crow Chaser? So basically, on the roof of the Beis Hamikdash, on the roof of the temple, um, there, was an, there was a very narrow point. And what they did was is they put spikes on the, those narrow points so that you don't have crows perching on the roof of the temple. And what the Gemara is basically assuming here is that to leave over this part, because it's not actually part of the building, part of the base of itself, it wouldn't have been disrespectful to leave that over, finish that right before Sukkot, and then they could have brought them together. And from the fact that Shalom Al didn't do that, it must be that you can't intermingle to um, two, two joyous occasions. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, so so we answer. So the Mara responds, Ami No. The Amma of the crow chaser, that area, is actually an essential part of the base of Mikdash. And that's and therefore he couldn't have delayed it. If he delayed that part, it would also be equally disrespectful. So that's so the only reason he didn't intermingle them is because the base of Mikdash was finished first. It was finished seven days before Sukkis. So they had the dedication and then had the and then had the Sukkis festival. Um, but we have no proof. Perhaps if it would have coincided with Sukkot itself, then they would have intermingled the two holidays, the two joyous occasions. So rather, we have to find a different proof for this idea that you're not allowed to intermingle. Ella midamiyater kra. Rather, the proof is from the fact that the the verse is redundant speaking about King Solomon's temple dedication. Michli, let us see. Ksiv arba asaryam. It's written that they celebrated for 14 days. And it's also written, if it's written that they celebrated 40 days, why does that have to say that they celebrated for seven days and then another seven days? You learn from here that it was telling you something very specific, that they had seven days of celebrating the dedication of the temple, and that was by itself, and seven days of sukkah by itself. And the fact that it said it like this is to teach you very clearly that you're not allowed to intermingle two joyous occasions. Okay, so now that we're talking about the celebration of dedication, we're not going to talk about some others. Uh, we're going to talk about some related teachings. Amar Rabbi Parnach, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Parnach said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Osa Shana Lo Asa Yisrael Semaikipurim. That year, the year of the dedication of the Beis Hamikdash, the Jewish people did not observe Yom Kippur. Because don't forget, what we're saying is, is that the celebration of dedication took place during the seven days before Sukkot, and obviously Yom Kippur is during the seven days before Sukkot. And the dedication of the temple was a time of celebration of food and drink, so they didn't observe Yom Kippur that year. And they were concerned, and they said, 
perhaps the Jewish people, it says the enemies of Israel, because we want to use a euphemism, so we don't say, God forbid, that the Jewish people deserve extermination. But perhaps the Jewish people, the enemies of Israel, deserve extermination for this misdeed, for the fact that they didn't fast on Yom Kippur. So, so a heavenly voice came out and said to them, You are all invited, you are all prepared for a life in the world to come. Um, now, the question is, is what was the allowance? Why were they allowed to skip the Yom Kippur fast that year? My darsh. What was the drasha? What was the exposition that the Jewish people made to, to know that they were allowed to skip the fast? Amru Kavachomer. So they made a Kavachomer. They made the following logical argument. Uma Mishkan She'en Kedushaso. Kedushas Olam. Now, if when it came to the dedication of the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, whose sanctity is not an everlasting sanctity... And what is this a reference to, just so we understand? The 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 tabernacle in the desert, its existence made it prohibited for the Jewish people to offer sacrifices on any sort of private altars. But once they entered Israel, even though the tabernacle was in existence, the Jewish people were allowed to offer on private temples, on private altars. Whereas for the base of Mikdash, as long as the base of Mikdash was around, private altars were prohibited. Okay, so we have the Mishkan, we have the tabernacle, whose sanctity was not an everlasting sanctity, Vikarban Yachid, and we're dealing with the um, private sacrifices, and we say is that the law is, is that their service nevertheless overrides the Shabbos, right? So we're talking about during the dedication of the Mishkan, and during the dedication of the Mishkan, each day, one of the Nisi'im, one of the leaders of the tribes, would bring a, kor, a set of korbanos, a set of sacrifices, and they brought it on Shabbos. So we see that in the Mishkan, which had a lower level of sanctity, um, bringing a private offering was still going to override Shabbos, even though Shabbos in general carries the penalty of stoning if you transgress it. So Mikdash, so Kedushas Olam. So then when it comes to the base of Mikdash, whose sanctity is an everlasting sanctity, Vikarban Sibar, and the sacrifices that were brought during the dedication were communal sacrifices, so they were on a higher level than the individual sacrifices. Viyoma Kippurim Anushkaris, and we're not dealing with Shabbos, which is a higher level prohibition than Yom Kippur. Breaking Yom Kippur's fast, you're going to get Karis, excision. That's not as bad as the prohibition, as the trans, as the punishment for Shabbos, which is skila, which is stoning. Local shikane. So then it isn't even local shikane. Isn't it all the more so then that you should be allowed to override Yom Kippur? Because, so number one, when it came to the dedication of the temple, the temple is a higher level sanctity than the tabernacle. The sacrifices that were being brought were a higher level of sanctity than the ones that were brought during the dedication of the Mishkan. And yet, the those sacrifices overrode the Shabbos. So for sure, these sacrifices in the base of Mikdash, they should override Yom Kippur because Yom Kippur is less stringent than as Shabbos. Okay, so that was a great Kavachomer, very logical. Elamai Hayudogin. But if that's the case, then why were the Jewish people worried that they had sinned? So perhaps, Hasam Tzorach There, by the dedication of the tabernacle, you can say that they were a bit worried. You could say that there it overrode the Shabbos 
because those were offerings for the Most High, right? Sorech Gavoa. Hacha Tzarechadya. Whereas here, by the dedication of the temple, we're talking not about offerings that were completely brought on the altar. We're talking about um, we're talking about sacrifices, but also eating and drinking of, of the common person, which is a tzorachedio, which is a requirement of the common people. So perhaps that shouldn't override the Shabbos. That was the big question. So the Gemara asks, Hachanami li'abdu. Here too, by the dedication of the temple, let them rejoice for the dedication of the temple on Yom Kippur and offer the sacrifices. But you're right, let them not eat and drink. Meaning, good, we have a logical reason to explain how we would know that you're allowed to bring the sacrifices on Yom Kippur, on Shabbos, I'm sorry, on Yom Kippur. But you're right, that would seem to be a very big worry. Why why would they be allowed to eat and drink on Yom Kippur? So we answer, in Simcha Achila Vashtiya. There is no joy without eating and drinking. So eating and drinking were an essential part of the dedication of the temple, and that's why they overrode the Yom Kippur prohibition. Okay, so now that we have this idea about Shabbos and the tabernacle and how you were able to override the Shabbos in order to bring the sacrifices of the dedication of the tabernacle, we're going to talk more about that. Umishkan did dachi Shabbos minalan, and from where do we know that the sacrifices offered by the leaders of the tribes during the dedication of the tabernacle. How do we know that those overrode Shabbos? If you're going to say it's because it says by Yom Harishon or by Yom Ashvi'i that on the first day and on the second day and this is the third and fourth, fifth and seventh day which would imply that the sacrifices were brought day one through day seven even on Shabbos. Perhaps the verse just means the seventh day of bringing the sacrifices. Meaning the first was the first day bringing sacrifices and the seventh, the seventh day bringing sacrifices, but it didn't happen on Shabbos, it would happen on the next Sunday. So how do we know then that the sacrifices overrode the Shabbos? Amar of Nachem Yitzchak, or Nachem Yitzchak says, Amar Kral, the verse says, Biyom Asriyom, the verse says, on the eleventh day. But it says it, Biyom Asriyom, on the eleventh day. It could have just said, it's, it could have just said, Biyom Asriyom, on the eleventh day. Not, on the day, on the eleventh day. So the repetition of the day of the word day is teaches you ma yom kulara. So if just as a single day, by its very definition, is consecutive. Av are and so too all of these eleven days on which the tribe, on which the nesiim, the leaders of the tribes, brought their sacrifices were consecutive. There is no break between the days, even for Shabbos. The Dilma. But perhaps the consecutive days only include the days which are fit for bringing private sacrifices, but not Shabbos. So we say, there's another verse that says, um, on the 12th day. And again, there it says, on the it says the word Yom twice. There's an extra word Yom, right? Literally translated, it's on the day of the 12th day, right? It could have just said on the 12th day. So the word yom is coming to teach you something. Ma yom kulorot. So that one must be touching you, teaching you that just as a day is consecutive, meaning it's an hour after an hour after an hour, afshnei maser yom kulorot And so too, all 12 days were consecutive. And then the Gemara asks the same question. The Dilma hachanami 
and perhaps here too. When we say consecutive days, it only means days which are fit, consecutive days of which are fit for bringing sacrifices, not Shabbos. So we answer, but if that was the case, um, if it's so that both verses to come to include only those days which are fit, then why do I need two, why do I need two verses, two extra words, yom, to teach the same thing? Rather, it must be that one of those verses is free to teach you that it was truly consecutive days. Okay, and now we're going to talk about um, the, we said that um, Rabbi Yochanan had said that on the year of the dedication of the temple, the Jews did not observe Yom Kippur. And now we want to know where Rabbi Yochanan knew this from. From where do we know the festivities? For the dedication of the temple, overrode Yom Kippur, if you're going to say it was from the, from the word that says, Arba Asar Yom, it says 14 days, which implies 14 straight days, which of course would have included Yom Kippur, but perhaps that just meant the days which were fit for festive meals and not including Yom Kippur. So our answers, Gomar Yom Yom Hasan. You learn Xer Shava of day, day from there. So what's the Xer Shava? So what is Xer Shava? Xer Shava is, is that you have two of the same words um, and they're both extra. And we know what one comes to teach us in a different context. So we say that it's coming to teach you the same thing here. So we say that we have this extra word day here by the Yom Kippur dedication, the dedication of the basement. That's just like we have the extra word Yom by the dedication of the Mishkan, just like by the dedication of the Mishkan. It was come to teach you that when it says days, it means one after another after another, including Shabbos. So to hear when it says the word days, it's coming to teach you that it's day after day after day, including Yom Kippur. Yotza Baskov Armelhem. So now we're going to analyze. So we said that a heavenly voice came out and said, You are all prepared for life in the world to come. You do not have to worry. From where do you know that Hashem forgave them? So the Tani Tachlifa, because Tachlifa Tana So it says about the conclusion of the inauguration festivities for the Beis HaMikdash. It says as follows. On the eighth day, he dismissed the people and they blessed the king. And they went to their tents, joyful and glad of heart. For all the goodness that Hashem had done for David, his servant, for Israel, his people. And now we're going to just expound the verse. It says, They returned to their tents. What's their tent? They went and they found their wives in a state of purity. They were happy. Because they delighted in the radiance of the divine presence. They were glad of heart. This teaches us that each one of them were glad of heart because they came home to find that each one of their wives conceived a baby boy. Al kol hatoiva, it says for all the goodness. This what was this goodness? Because of Pascal, heavenly voice came out and said, "You are all prepared for a life in the world to come." Okay, um, so now we're going to understand the last part of the verse. The David Abdul Yisrael Amo, all the good that Hashem did for David, his servant, for Israel's people. Bishlam Yisrael Amo, it's understandable that um, when we mention the goodness Hashem did for Israel's people, the verse refers to the Achaluhu Avinyom Kippurim. Hashem forgave the people for their sin of eating on Yom Kippur. Elul David Abdo, but what is meant by the goodness Hashem did for David Abdo? Mahi, what is that for David, his servant? So Amar Vihuram Rabbiudas then the Rabbi Shash Bigeshamal Haknas Arlamekdash. At the time that Sa King Shlomo Solomon 
wanted to bring the ark into the temple. The gates of the Holy of Holies clung together and could not be opened. So Shlomo recited 24 songs of prayer. He was not answered. He then began the following. Raise up your heads, O gates. Still he was not answered. But once King Shlomo said, As soon as he said, Hashem, God, turn not away the face of your anointed one. Remember the pieties of David, your servant. He was immediately answered and the gates opened. And at that moment, the faces of David's enemies turned dark with humiliation like the bottom of a pot. Because they saw that it was King David's name that allowed the gates to open. And everybody knew that Hashem had forgiven King David for the transgression with Bathsheba. That's the story of when he, King David, uh, married Bathsheba um, in a very in a very questionable questionable type of relationship. Um, okay. studied the portion of vows in the academy of Shimon Ben They took leave of him in the evening as they left his presence. In the morning they returned and again took leave of him. Amrlu he said to him, Didn't she already take leave of me last night? Amrlu they said to him, you have taught us that if a student takes leave of his teacher and then ends up staying overnight in that same city, he has to take leave of him a second time when he's ready to leave. Shinemar, as the verse says, as it says, on the eighth day, Shlomo Hamal dismissed the people and they blessed the king. So this teaches us that Shlomo granted the people permission to take leave on the eighth day, um, which would have been the 22nd day of the month of Tishrei. And it also says, and on the 23rd day of the seventh month, meaning Tishrei, Shlomo dismissed the people. So we see that they took leave of him again. So from here we learn, that if somebody leaves his, his, his Rebbe, and then ends up staying in the same city overnight, he has to leave from him a second time. said to his son, these men, are men of stature. Go to them so they can bless you. And he went and he found them posing a contradiction between verses as follows. And we'll wait to hear what the contradiction was in our next lesson. Have a wonderful, wonderful night.